HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. That raindrop's moving pretty dang quick. I think it's something like 20 miles an hour, right? When that hits the bare dirt, it's going to break things apart. So if we can get that to hit, you know, a dead plant, you know, a stalk or um, a living plant, and we can slow that water down, that's a huge, huge benefit to water infiltration. You'll hear more about that story on this episode of No Farms, No Future the new podcast from American Farmland Trust. I'm John Piotti, President and CEO of AFT. In each episode of No Farms, No Future, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network, we'll examine a critical challenge faced by farmers and ranchers today. Join us to hear their voices while grappling with tough decisions shaping their future and ours. For the rest of this episode, we turn it over to our producer, Rob Hoschel. In our last episode, we showed you how the bourbon industry, AFT, and Kentucky farmers are working together to plant more rye cover crops and therefore to enhance environmental practices on those farms. Well, in Illinois, a lot of state officials are talking about cover crops with a particular focus on reducing the amount of nutrient loss that flows from some farms and pollutants from city streets down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico. While many farmers in the state are using cover crops successfully, you'll meet one of them later in this episode, most are not planting cover crops. The state strategy contends that 35% should be the minimal target, while at the moment, less than 6% of Illinois cropland is planted to cover crops every year. We'll learn how American Farmland Trust is addressing this issue with a new program And we'll begin with Chris Reynolds, Midwest Director for American Farmland Trust and a fifth-generation farmer from Nokomis, Illinois. His focus with AFT has been to work directly with farmers to promote conservation practices and provide assistance along the way. He brings to this work a deep understanding of the region and its history. Illinois is the prairie state, so most of our soils were formed from loss and under under prairie vegetation. And so we have some really deep soil profiles. Before we started conventionally farming the land, a lot of the soils had upwards of 6 to 8% organic matter in the soil, which means they had a lot of carbon already in the soil. That helps hold more water. It helps increase water infiltration. 
So we're blessed with these really deep black soils that, that have a lot of organic matter in them. Now, since we began farming, we've seen the organic matter cut in half in a lot of places as that carbon has went back up into the atmosphere from tillage. So there's just a lot of really deep, dark soils here in the state that are already pretty resilient, that are able to withstand short periods of drought. But we also know from history that they have the potential to hold a lot more carbon, that we can increase the organic matter, that we can make them even more resilient. With all of that in mind, it's easy for Chris Reynolds to connect that past to his family's farming legacy. There's a lot of great history here. You know, predominantly when I think about my grandfathers and the crop rotations they had, they typically had four or five different crops in a rotation. They really just didn't call it cover crops at that point. They were planting a diverse crop rotation, but they were also planting clover after wheat. And then they would plow it under to add nitrogen to the soil for that next year's crop. And they recognized that there was huge production benefits from doing that. They all had livestock on the farms and they used the different grains for livestock feed. And they used the land throughout the year to apply manure from the animals. And it was really a a much different system than what it is today. Today, most of Illinois is dominated by corn and soybeans and corn and soybean production and a little bit of wheat still in certain parts of the state. So it's much different than what it was. And farms have, of course, gotten bigger. They've also became more efficient in planting. And we're seeing, you know, I think some of the challenges that we're seeing today are are weather related. We're seeing fewer favorable planting days in the spring to get the crops planted. And so farmers are getting bigger equipment so that they can get more done in a shorter amount of time. With farmers facing tough conditions in a variety of ways, AFT decided to support and help lead a cover crops program launched by the Illinois Department of Agriculture. The Fall Covers for Spring Savings program has proven to be a powerful way of encouraging farmers to start transitioning toward cover crops. We are now on the third year of the program being in existence, but we started probably about five years ago as an organization trying to get this program established here in Illinois. We looked at what our neighbors to the West in Iowa were doing. They had just developed a similar program and we had all been working together as partners. And when I mean partners, different organizations other conservation organizations, environmental organizations, and agriculture organizations. The nutrient loss reduction strategy had just came out in 2015, and we were all working towards a common goal of reducing nutrient losses. So as it relates to field tile, you know, one of the great things about tile is it makes the land more productive, but it can also be a leaky system. And so we can lose nitrates from the soil through the water, and they eventually end up in the Gulf of Mexico. And so there was a major effort underway to try to reduce nutrient loss. And we recognize that cover crops can have a big benefit in reducing that overall nutrient loss that's, that's happening from cropland. In the program's first year, AFT was successful in helping get state funding to allow for a $5 per acre insurance premium discount on 50,000 acres in the state. Demand from farmers, though, far exceeded the available pool of discounts. By this year, 2022, AFT was able to offer discounts to cover 100,000 acres. But by the end of the sign-up period, 
Farmers had applied for 174,000 acres. Chris Reynolds says he'll keep working with state legislators and staff in the governor's office to increase the size of the program. But meanwhile, a big part of this is working to build a network of farmers in the state who will continue to support and encourage each other to experiment with cover crops. Before I was involved with the farm, dad and grandpa had gone to a a local soil and water meeting and the concepts of soil health made sense to them, reducing tillage, using cover crops, keeping something, a living root in the ground all year. So they started experimenting and from there, they kind of grew up and learned the issues and the pluses and minuses. And when I joined the farm initially in 2018, we expanded those practices to the entire farm. That's Frank Rademacher, a third-generation farmer on land near Guilford, Illinois. As you just heard, his family has been cover cropping for a while, and they have all 600 of their acres in the cover crops program this year. When we caught up with Frank, it was March 2022, and the main on-farm activity was readying equipment for the season ahead. You're hearing the sound of Frank and his team bolting a roller crimper onto a planter. We bought a new planter, um, which we are currently working on. Um, It's been an interesting spring. Um, But one thing thing that we're doing on the the planter, the big project right now setting up on this new planter is um, what's called a a crimper, a roller crimper. So basically for um, planting into large cover crops, Um, so some of the cover crops we plant into are dang near six foot tall. So Mm -hmm. this roller crimper on the front allows the planter to uh, plant into that, those conditions. So imagine a big roller that pushes everything down and flattens it on the ground. Think of like a mulch. That attachment is turning that cover crop into a mulch. It's actually a technique used a lot in, um, organic production because it actually will terminate the cover crops. So you can do that without chemicals. Um, so we're installing that onto our onto our planter which is an engineering challenge lots of smashed fingers and (laughs) that kind of stuff frank rademacher goes on to explain how the planter and roller crimper help maximize the benefits of cover crops it clears a little path that you can plant into and then between rows there may be an inch two inch thick mat of dead plant material, which is great for a couple of reasons. A, like I said, uh, herbicide use. B is just keeping that soil cool, covered, keeping a lot of moisture. I mean, I think I've found it's over a 10, 15 degree temperature difference underneath that mat, which is great for those hot summer days. I mean, I've found we've had stretches where maybe three weeks we get a hot, dry stretch where we don't get any rain. And if you lift that mat up, there's still moisture down there for those crop roots. And that, yeah, there's, there's a whole host of benefits like that that we realize. While the benefits of cover crops may be clear, you may be wondering why crop insurance discounts? So the, the idea there is that over time, cover crop use and soil health will reduce um, some of the risk that insurance is meant to cover. So you should have less claims uh, because a lot of the a lot of the risk that crop insurance picks up is weather risk. So it's too wet, it's too dry. If you have a healthy soil, you can help mitigate some of those. So that's kind of the thinking behind there. But in general, that program has been excellent. That program, Fall Covers for Spring Savings, has been so excellent, in fact, that the discounts go faster 
than tickets to a George Strait concert. It's a first-come, first-serve program, which is interesting because it gets very competitive. They open it up, gosh, 8 in the morning, and a lot of times I think they've filled up the entire program before lunch. I mean, that's how fast it fills up, which is great to see that there's the demand in Illinois for this. While the insurance discounts provide a boost, Rademacher sees a number of other ways that the AFT program has helped. The breadth of what AFT does is really incredible from a policy standpoint, from an on-farm, maybe funding research, or locally they've been doing some work on a local watershed that has some nutrient issues. Between the funding and then the networking of who do I call, who's, who's close to me that's doing this is a big niche that they fill for sure. So it, it's such a multifaceted approach that they take, which is needed. So because there needs to be some policy, there needs to be people fighting for promoting cover crops and voluntary action is a lot of what they focus on is how can we keep this voluntary and not a mandate. And the networking is, is huge because uh, I, I don't remember if they have a, an, an Illinois version yet, but, you know, a soil health expert network where Part of our struggle starting out was, who do you call? Okay, well, we found somebody in Kentucky, which is great, but maybe not something that's helpful for our climate, our our crops. So between policy, funding, and networking, it's a very holistic, wide approach that helps soil health promotion. While American Farmland Trust and farmers like Rademacher prove the point about the importance of cover crops, that doesn't change the fact that making such a transition is not easy. Cover crops, soil health in general, you're looking at a totally different system. So the things that you knew before that would work, that should work, that there's information on, suddenly don't work anymore, right? So things you take for granted. And, and a big one maybe was how to kill the cover crops. So suddenly you've got a lot of plants out there that you planted, and now you need to kill them so you can plant your cash crop. And there's a lot of considerations there that maybe... Sometimes things just go wrong. When I want to plant a crop, I either plant corn or soybeans. When I want to plant a cover crop, I can pick from 20 different species, all of which are radically different from each other. So we definitely have picked some in the past that, oops, that was a little harder to kill than we thought it would be. Or um, say the planter is set up a certain way and you know you try to plant your cash crop and suddenly Oh, the one year that was not a lot of fun. We had some vines out there, a cover crop that was vines that wrapped on everything. Ooh, yeah. Not good. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just challenges like that. But other than that, we've been very, very lucky as far as even despite a lot of bad weather events, um, we've really done quite well. So I wonder if you could talk about the planning part of it. Uh, that sounds a little bit like the stuff that's happening back in the office or when you're sort of planning your 12 months, your calendar, mm -hmm. you know, what you're putting before what cash crops, whether you're experimenting with this cover crop or that cover crop. So that planning aspect, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit uh, and how important that is to succeeding at this whole cover crops thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that question. Gosh, that takes up months of my time. I mean, that's just, that is what a lot of our year is, is making plans. And usually when you get into this, it's not a plan A and B, it's a plan A, B, C, D, and E and F sometimes. And that's what you need because you have to kind of roll with the punches. So usually how we approach it is that the no-till and the cover crops are really the backbone of our program. And that makes everything possible. 
we have a lot of long-term goals that we're trying to reach with those tools. So it seems counterintuitive. It seems like the system should be built around our cash crops because that's what makes us money technically. But we take a different approach than that and really how we can maximize the cover crops and no-till and soil health for really the, the most net benefit for the system. So usually that's A, what are our goals is usually where we start. So we say maybe ahead of corn, we want weed control. And we also maybe now want to start reducing some of our nutrient use. So how can we replace some fertilizers with cover crop growth? And how do we make that happen? So to do that, the species obviously is a big one, um, but not only species, but when do we plant them? If we want those to grow as much as we can, now suddenly we have to make sure we plant a crop beforehand that matures fast so we can maximize that harvest early and get that planted, a lot of growth. And then what herbicide package are we going to use to kill this? There's a million considerations. I understand why people are a little overwhelmed because it is very overwhelming. So how do you talk to people about that and get them to see the challenge as worthwhile to their long-term farming future? It's finally helped being at the point that we're at now, because now we can actually look at some of these benefits that are more consistent. And I've never been shy about our numbers. So if people have questions on any kind of inputs that we have, I definitely, definitely share those. So that helps because it just felt like for several years we were... We are the crazy people in the neighborhood who are like, hey, just trust us. This will work one day, I promise, right? And, and now yeah. we're getting to that point. So now that we've had neighbors that that are doing it successfully, that network is growing so much faster now. And and really where I usually point people is to to start simple. Keep your costs down and keep your goals simple and don't risk something that can maybe screw up your cash crop. So what can we do to, if nothing else, just net even? So now we've got, we're not making any more money. We're not making any less money. We've just got a different system than before, but one that feasibly say they tell you, you got to plant cover crops one day. Now you're ready for it. And that's worth a little bit of money itself. It's hard to put a value to it, but so start simple is usually what I tell people. I'm Katie Mosman Wadler, executive director of Heritage Radio Network. Stay with us for the rest of this episode of No Farms, No Future. HRN is thrilled to be the home of this new podcast because America's irreplaceable farmland grows our food and supports a trillion-dollar-a-year agriculture economy. Farmland is the foundation of our rural communities, providing jobs, recreational opportunities, and a deep connection to the land. Farms are also critical in the fight against climate change. Learn more about American Farmland Trust and how to get involved at farmland.org. Now let's return to today's show. A big reason why farmer Frank Rademacher and state officials in Illinois and elsewhere are talking so much about cover crops is due to water quality concerns. Frank Rademacher explains. The main point is probably the hypoxia in the Gulf. If you're not familiar with that issue, so the Gulf of Mexico, there's a zone, a substantial zone, which is low oxygen. It's just so low oxygen that it can't support a lot of sea life. 
um, which obviously decimates the fishing industry, the tourist industry, all kinds of bad issues. And the cause of that is nitrogen and phosphorus in, in the area. And not all of it comes off of farm fields for sure, but a good chunk of it um, in a lot of these high um, agriculture areas comes off of farm fields. So Illinois, and actually I think 12 or 13 states have come up with a plan to solve this Gulf nutrient issue. So they've set certain goals of by X year, we want to reduce nitrogen loss off of our fields by 25, 30, 40% to help curtail this issue. The main tool to do that is cover crops, right? So you take your, your cash crop off and then you plant something to grow over winter and in the spring that is using up extra nutrients, right? It's sucking those up. It's tying those up in a plant form, or it's reducing the soil loss that contributes to that because phosphorus is lost in soil. So what I would say as far as regulation goes based on that is, for example, Illinois is kind of behind on meeting those goals. So what's that going to look like when we get to that deadline and suddenly we haven't met those goals? I'm not saying it will be regulation then, but Eventually, that will happen if we continue at this pace. There was a picture I saw on your Facebook page going back a few years, I think, of two mason jars, yeah. one from your farm with some nice, clear runoff, and then a mason jar from another farm where the water looked much murkier and brown. And I wonder if you could talk about what leads to those differences and how cover crops and other practices have allowed you to wind up in that place. Sure. That's... That's been a huge thing we've seen last couple of years. It just seems like we have bigger rain events. We may in the course of a year get an average amount of rain, but it may just come in fewer events. So they are larger and your soil has to either take that up or run that water off. So how cover crops are helping with that is there's a couple different things going on there. So obviously if we can keep that soil covered, that helps quite a ways. The mechanic behind that is if you think about a raindrop, Obviously, it doesn't feel like it, but that raindrop's moving pretty dang quick. I think it's something like 20 miles an hour, hmm. right? When that hits the bare dirt, it's going to break things apart. So if we can get that to hit you know, a dead plant, you know, a stalk, or um, a living plant, and we can slow that water down, that's a huge, huge benefit to water infiltration. Um, another way is just in the actual structure of the soil. So think of it like glues. There's glues that kind of hold that soil together. And a lot of times those glues are pretty sensitive and break down pretty easily underneath the tillage practice. So the more you work that ground, the more those glues that hold that soil together kind of break down and you're left with more of a dust over time. So if we can build those glues up, we can really increase the strength of our soil because how you do that is through root growth. So roots are growing, they kind of hold that soil together, they're pumping things out in, in their roots that feed bacteria and fungus that all kind of hold the soil together. So if we can a, strengthen the soil and B, cover it up. That's really what makes that difference there. So yeah, I I haven't seen brown water leaving our fields, well, for four or five years since we started this. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible the amount of dirt that leaves fields. I, I forget what the average is for our area, but it's something like two tons of soil per acre per year is, is what's lost in erosion. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is that Frank Rademacher is pretty young. He's 26 years old, and he also has a job in the conservation wing of the Illinois Corn Growers Association. So he talks to lots of farmers around the state. And I was wondering if his youth meant that he had a different perspective on things. 
Yeah, I think about this one a lot because, again, there's there's not a lot of us that are 26. I think the average farmer age is somewhere like 56. So it's quite a quite a difference just in my thinking about it. And that is, I think it's a benefit and it's also maybe a disadvantage sometimes because it's hard for me occasionally to know where people are coming from because I'm just at a very different place. So, well, I'll start with maybe the farmers. So a big thing that I heard about, you know, maybe them growing up is feeding the world, right? That was the big push. And we're going to farm fence row to fence row, I believe was the saying. That was the, you know, take out XYZ, we're putting it in production. Whereas now, I'm not saying we can't feed the world, but that's not where our focus is. Because realistically, I'm looking at, we have more conversations about population decline. So is feeding the world and pushing that yield, is that really where I'm going for? I'm trying to contrast that with we're having more conversations, maybe not feed the world, but climate change. Where's where is that going from a um, climate standpoint, of course, but a policy standpoint or, um, you know, people my age getting to the point where they're making marketing decisions on what are they buying in the stores? What kind of products? How do they want um, how do they want their goods produced um, from a chemical standpoint or a, a carbon standpoint. These are all things that I need to plan for. I'm trying to make plans for the farm, assuming that I have to do this another 50 years, right? And that's the very different approach. So that is a challenge to have that talk to people. But yes, age plays a big factor, but not always. Uh, we've got a neighbor that that is is experimenting with some of this stuff. And Eldred is 90 years old. Wow. He loves it. He loves all this stuff. I mean, he's ready to put, he's, gosh, he, he tried some cover crops. He doubled his cover crop acres um, in a year because mm-hmm. he enjoys it. So uh, we work very closely with them. So we started helping them out with cover crops and really they've cut their their herbicide use to a fraction. And he's all about, he gets, you know, he, his focus is very much profit-based. So we don't have to have that yield conversation because he understands that um, overall. And they also have, he's got a huge uh, higher environmental drive. So that's kind of what pushes him along also. Mm-hmm. So have you seen that, that environmental drive, that focus on conservation among farmers increase in recent years? That's a tough one because there's no predictor of that, that I've found. I go talk with Eldred who's 90 and he's all about the environmental and the water quality. I could talk to a farmer who's 30 and he doesn't think that farmland loses any nutrients at all, and that there's no environmental issues at, at all. But you know, he may have his own reasons for doing a lot of this stuff. And part of the fun part of my job is meeting everybody where they're at. I may talk to one guy down the road who says, I love cover crops for the weed control. And I talk to the next guy down the road who says, yeah, I haven't seen any benefit on weed control, but it's really holding my soil and I don't have any erosion. I'll take both of those options. Toward the end of our conversation, I asked Frank how he looks at the responsibility that farmers have to try to slow climate change. We just became very aware of agriculture's overall impact on the environment. And then we've just started to see areas that we could definitely improve. A big one that I think AFT pushes also is biodiversity and the impact of insecticides. 
So we were determined that we thought there was enough information that we didn't need to use insecticides anymore. So we worked for years to become insecticide free. So what can we do to increase the natural biodiversity? And we've seen insect counts on our fields just skyrocket and good ones too, not bad ones. So things like that. And uh, what can we do to increase the carbon content in our soils? Bring back some of that color, some of that tilth, some of that that quality. And then water quality is a big one also is what what can we do to reduce nutrients in there? What can we do to reduce pesticide use that end up a lot of times in water? I think everybody has a responsibility and we all have different ways to impact that. And if we can maintain our level of profit and then do better overall for the climate and environment, that's certainly what we're trying to accomplish. Earlier, you said that, you know, you see yourself doing this for another 40, 50 years. What will keep you focused on on this work that you do for another four or five decades? We always like to push it as far as we can go. Um, I like to say I'm lazy. So we're, uh, we're, we're trying to get to a system that is very streamlined, efficient, um, and really working with nature and not against it. So one thing that I've heard a lot of people say that start to get into this is it kind of makes it fun again. So you're working with natural principles and everybody likes that. Anybody likes a garden, right? And that's what we're doing, right? We're working with bugs. We're working with plants to help do that. And that's what keeps it exciting. When you walk out on a day like today, as nasty as it is here, and there's still things growing out there and there's still things living. And that's what makes it fun. And how do we manage those holistically to really build a system that works? What keeps AFT Midwest Director Chris Reynolds excited about helping build such systems is working with farmers as they run their on-farm experiments. And farmers in general just love to tell their success stories about how they're trying something new. Maybe they're planting soybeans into the green cereal rye instead of terminating it early. You can sense that excitement in something new, but that doesn't go without challenges, you know? I mean, there's still a lot of challenges with the practice and management, and, and I get to hear about those too. I think it's great for all of us. We continue to try to figure out better methods to manage the cover crops, better seeding rates, better seeding dates, and that helps all of us to be able to provide more technical assistance to more farmers and to try to get things right. When we work with farmers that are planting cover crops, we want to make sure they have all the information they need to be successful because we want them to continue to do it. Thanks to Chris Reynolds of American Farmland Trust and Frank Rademacher of Rademacher Farms for their contributions to this episode of No Farms, No Future. And thanks to Frank for his sound effects recording for this episode. Next time on No Farms, No Future, we'll go to the state of New York and meet two young farmers who have begun their careers with the help of AFT's Farms for a New Generation program. That's next time on No Farms, No Future, the podcast of American Farmland Trust, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network and produced by The Food Voice, executive producer Louisa Kasdan and audio director and composer Michael Moss. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thank you for listening to No Farms, No Future. I'm John Piotti, president and CEO of American Farmland Trust. Learn more about our work at farmland.org and subscribe to No Farms, No Future wherever you listen to podcasts.